Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am so happy to have Rachel Posner here with me today. We're going to have a a great talk about one of my favorite subjects is mindfulness and uh, lots more than that, too. But I think that you're really going to enjoy and get a lot out of what we talk about today. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. Can you start by telling us a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm a yoga therapist and a mindfulness coach, and I work with people one-on-one, and I offer classes, um, mindfulness classes. They vary, but the most common one is around how to regulate your nervous system, because I think that your nervous system has everything to do with how stressed you are. And you can have all the stressors in the world and feel completely calm if your nervous system is regulated. And you can have one stressor and feel totally out of sorts. So that's where I like to start with people in general. Oh, that sounds fabulous. As as you were saying that, I thought, oh, I I know people in that category. And then I know people in the other category. So (laughs) that's, that's one thing that grief is such an interesting thing that a lot of times people just lump people they know into a category when they they assume that they're grieving without really realizing that everybody's different and we we don't fall all fall in the same category and there's some things that are are better for, than others for the individuals do you, do you think that's that's about right or <laughs> yeah i think that's exactly about right i think we all grieve in different ways we grieve different things and in that same way, I do think that how we grieve has so much to do with the state of our nervous system, whether we're feeling overwhelmed by what we're grieving, whether we're focusing on what we loved about what we're grieving, that will have the way that we grieve can have a really big impact on how we feel and whether we feel um, okay, I say in quotes, okay with it or overwhelmed by it. What would you say... If somebody were to ask you, what's what's the healthy way to grieve? What should I do first? Mm. I'd start with saying, just feel what you feel. I think that oftentimes when we're grieving, we attach to a thought and that thought spins us out. That thought might be if we're grieving the death of a person, for example, this person will never see X, Y, Z. I will never experience X, Y, Z with them again. So much is future thinking or, and so I think that when we, this is what mindfulness is all about, noticing what's present, all of it. It doesn't mean noticing only what's lovely. It doesn't mean putting on rose colored glasses, but it means noticing what I'm actually feeling. So if I'm grieving something, the first thing I wanna do is try not to suppress it. And suppression is a way to avoid the feelings that are uncomfortable. And then that just creates a big buildup and lots of stress down the line, because when we're stress uh, suppressing our emotions, oftentimes that sends our nervous system into dysregulation, which means we just feel really stressed out. But I think that when we really pay attention to what we're feeling, oftentimes we move through those feelings. 
What gets uncomfortable is when we start to tell a whole story about what we're feeling that throws us into future problems that aren't even happening right now. Versus if I can just feel the loss, if I can feel the sadness and the happy memories and the difficult memories, just feeling the actual loss, bringing myself into my body and noticing what it feels like in my belly, for example, the feelings are less overwhelming when we stay present with them than when we move into the future with them. So that's why I like to bring mindfulness into this space of grief, because I think if we can stay present and noticing, notice what's happening in our bodies, in our emotions, it helps us to move through grief with much more grace and ease. Oh, yes. I, I love your explanation. That That's so good, because so many uh, times people are telling people, especially new to a situation to grieve about, what they should do you know, uh, how they should behave, or aren't you over that yet, they'll say, or when are you going back to work, or questions that aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. And if if you can be comfortable in, well, I'm not sure comfortable is the right word, but if you can be where you are in your grief and and deal with it like that and not let other people challenge what you're doing or how you're feeling, because it's really up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people do that because we can we can just feel almost desperate to help. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we feel uncomfortable with other people's suffering. It makes us suffer. We don't want to suffer. So we try to come up with lots of ideas for people because we're uncomfortable with their grief. And the truth is, like anything, there's no prescription. Everyone experiences life in really different ways. So if you're listening to this because you're a friend or a support system for someone who's grieving, I think that's such an important message to encourage them to feel their feelings versus to give them advice. Because your advice is, you, you, don't, you don't know what they're feeling. You can't possibly prescribe what would be best. That's right. It, it's it's amazing how, how people think they can. <laughs> the things that people have told me that somebody with good intentions told them, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how could anybody say something like that? Yeah. But it's, it's really true. I can just think of a, one little instance that happened to me was I, I had a friend that was, he was a, a friend of my husband's and mine together. And he had told me after my husband died that if I ever needed to go someplace that I wanted an escort so I didn't have to go by myself, he would be happy to go with me. So that's not a date. (laughs) That's friends, you know, helping friends. And Mm -hmm. so we we did that a couple of times. And I would hear people saying, can you believe she's dating again? He just barely died. Wow. How how can you? Yeah. It was. It was really bad. That made me feel like I didn't want to be going to places with him because I didn't want people judging me or judging him. It's none of their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's still a friend and I'm grateful for his friendship in my life. But it it just, how can people say things, stupid things, you know? <laughs> That's the question of the hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The ones that really get me are are work-related things where your boss will say, well, you got a day off for the funeral. (laughs) You know, they think that's all you need and and you you should be 
back to normal the the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when there is no normal. <laughs> can can you talk to us about the, the role that the nervous system plays in grief? How does that work? So when a stressor starts to feel overwhelming, the nervous system takes over. And essentially, the nervous system generally takes over when it sees a threat. Some part of you thinks that there's something that's threatening. And grief can feel really threatening. My life is going to change. And whenever change is involved, our brain starts to look for cues of threat because it really evolved to keep us safe. So when that happens, when we feel cues of threat, which could be like the example that I gave, we're spinning on what is the future going to look like. That can feel uncomfortable and can cue the nervous system that we're not safe. And so then we get things like cortisol and adrenaline in the system. Our heart rate speeds up. We have shallow breathing. The stress response kicks in. The stress response is meant to kick in to keep us physically safe. But in this situation, it's kicking on even though we are physically safe. And so on top of all those physical things, what happens is that our perspective narrows. We can't see the big picture and we feel more stressed than is reasonable for the situation. We're always gonna feel more overwhelmed when we're experiencing that stress response. So when we're grieving, if we can do things like notice what's happening in the body, take a deeper and a longer breath so that we're activating the diaphragm. If we can have these physical cues, when we're taking a diaphragmatic breath, that sends a message to the brain that we're safe. When we're taking Mm -hmm. a shallow breath, it sends a message that we're not. So we don't always have to think through this. We can work with some basic physical practices like breath, like focusing the mind, like finding places to root or to anchor that will help us to stay in the relaxation response, even as we're feeling difficult emotions. That's always going to be helpful when we're grieving. Because again, if we can keep the nervous system calm, if we can stay in the relaxation response, then the stressors that we're experiencing don't have to lead to that stress response that narrows our vision and kind of puts us in a tailspin, makes us feel like we can't handle the situation. When we stay in the parasympathetic nervous system or that relaxation response, we build resilience and we are sending ourselves the message that we can in fact handle the situation, however difficult it is. That's just a a beautiful description of, of what's going on that I think people can relate to. It it seems to me that that especially relates to people when when you know your loved one's going to die. Mm-hmm. I think when when there's a sudden death situation that it it might trigger you a little differently. You mm-hmm. think? Yeah, I think those are. You're right. It it you'll have a. It certainly would. Um, bring in a different response. But again, every single situation of loss is an individual situation. And each one of those can come with that fear. And so regardless of what we've lost or are in the process of losing, the more we can keep ourselves grounded, the more we'll be able to handle the situation. And there's lots of different ways to keep ourselves grounded. I'm sure we'll take talk about a number of them, but breathing is just one example because when we use the diaphragm it helps to tone the vagus nerve which helps to turn on that relaxation response and kind of keep that stress response at bay that's really interesting because i i consider myself to be pretty mindful about things but i hadn't really thought about it when i was right at 
in the the throes of the either imminently impending uh, transition or right afterwards, I would just kind of naturally fall into a, a breathing breathing thing where mm-hmm. I was really doing breathing with my my diaphragm. And I didn't realize that, that I was doing that to help myself. You know, it just seemed mm-hmm. like the thing to do. And it, it really made a difference whenever I'd start to get kind of wound up if I just stop and take a deep breath and let it out slowly and try just not to think about everything that's going on, but just think of, of uh, peace. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful that that happened for you intuitively. I think the other thing that, um, that to think about is that, you know, the body just really helps us to relax. It's the mind that's mm-hmm. on a tailspin. So if we're having all of these really difficult thoughts, if we can pay attention to our physical body and our emotions as well. So the emotion is sort of the first dart, you could say. I have an awareness of the emotion and the emotion is difficult. But now I start to have all these thoughts about the emotion and those thoughts cause a lot more suffering than the emotion did. So if we can pay attention to actually what it feels like to feel sad, what it feels like physically to cry, for example, if we're crying, all of those things to take a diaphragmatic breath, those kind of physical experiences of grief help us to stay in the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's interesting because oftentimes when we're feeling upset, we don't want to feel the physical sensations because they feel scary and our tendency is to go into the mind. But it's really those cascading thoughts that send us into the stress response, not the sensations in our body. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that. That, that makes so much sense to me. The mind is not always our friend. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, some people get stressed by breathing because because if you've been taking a lot of shallow breaths, it can feel overwhelming to just suddenly try to take this really full breath. Mm-hmm. So in that case, I really recommend that the focus is on the exhale. So it's the exhale that connects you to that relaxation response taking a longer, slower exhale, letting less breath out at a time will help slow everything down. So you don't have to think that you have to take this giant breath. You're just trying to drop the breath down into the belly so that you're using the diaphragm. Don't worry so much about how big or how long, and then bring a little bit more focus onto a more intentional exhale. And that again, will help shift you into that parasympathetic response. Yeah, I I just kind of started breathing along with you with what you were saying. Uh-huh. It does yeah. feel good. Uh-huh. It's but it's a matter of paying attention, and and paying attention has a lot to do with our mind again. And you mentioned something about rewiring your brain to mm-hmm. to uh, meet grief and happiness. Mm-hmm. How how can we do that? So you grow whatever you pay attention to. If you're thinking about the worst case scenario, that's what you're going to grow. You're going to grow neural pathways that are focused on the worst case scenario. And we all know the worst case scenario generally hasn't happened. We're just considering what could be worse, right? And, you know, it's a little bit like skiing. Don't look at the thing you want to run into. If you don't want to hit the tree, don't look at the tree. Look in the direction that you want to move. And it's the same thing with neuroplasticity. The way that we wire the brain is to pay attention. So what we pay attention to is what we grow. 
paying attention to what we're feeling in our bodies when we're grieving is really important. Paying attention to the love that we felt for the person that we're grieving or the being that we're grieving is going to grow a sense of love. It's going to grow that um, sweetness that we had with that person. So I think the most important thing is to pay attention to what you want to grow. And if all I'm thinking about is what I'm missing versus what I had and still have, and then that's what I'm going to grow, this kind of perseverating around the loss. I love that explanation. It, it makes so much sense. And I know with our Grief and Happiness Alliance that we're, we're always focusing uh, when we get together every week on something positive, you know, so so that you're you're looking in at something that's gonna you, you'll smile because of it instead of being crying. Now sometimes it gets emotional, but we can turn that. Usually it's a it's positive tears if if that makes sense when when you're really thinking about a a lovely time that you spent with your your loved one that mm-hmm. you want to recall them, but. You, that doesn't mean that you have to give into an overwhelming sobbing thing that you can you can just recognize that that was a, a beautiful lovely time that you did enjoy at the time and it was it was a great time of your life yeah I mean pure grief is really just an expression of love we wouldn't mm-hmm. grieve if we didn't love so there are times when our grief takes us on a, in a direction that um I wouldn't call grief anymore it mm-hmm. takes us direction where we're spinning through our nervous system and we're really in the past and future and fear. That's not really a pure expression of grief. Grief is when we acknowledge what we have lost because of what we have loved. So paying attention to the love piece is beautiful and it grows beautiful neuropathways in our brains that helps us to continue to pay attention to love. Neurons that fire together wire together, meaning if we have a particular sort of type or category of thoughts or feelings, they come into the same neural pathway. So when we add thoughts of love over and over and over, we build those kinds of um, those kinds of thoughts. It's really important, not just for the grief process, but for the growing and living process. Yes, and being happy in general, you know. Right. That it's exactly. it's a good thing to be happy. I think I, I spent a lot of my life not not seeming like I was happy because I was so focused on everything else with what I had to do and what was going on and everything. And when I started focusing on being happy, boy, my life changed because I was paying attention to it. And it, yeah. it it took a minute to get used to it, but I'm so glad I I kind of on my own went through that process that made such a huge difference in, in my life. And I, I know it can in others when, when you can just focus on what's good and beautiful about right now, or what was good and beautiful about what was in the past or what can happen in the future. And when you keep positive like that, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And you have to perp- you have to be really intentional about that. That's mm-hmm. what mindfulness is about being intentional about where you're allowing your mind to move because our brains evolved to keep us alive. They didn't evolve to help us thrive. (laughs) So our brains are always paying attention to threat. Like we're not going to miss that. We don't have to worry that if we don't pay attention to the negative, that we will somehow be less safe, that we'll miss it. That's just not going to happen. We're always on alert. But 
we do have to pay attention to what's good. Our brains don't naturally do that. We have to be very intentional about noticing what's beautiful in order to grow that aspect. Otherwise, you're right. Like it will be in a glass half empty versus glass half full situation all the time. And that's no fun. No, it's not. <laughs> you mentioned that there's something that you can actually teach us on this podcast. Would you like to do that for us? Sure. I'd love to. Let's do just a little, we'll just do a check-in. So one of the things that we talked about at the beginning is that um, it's really important to individualize your practices to meet your particular needs. No one's grief is the same as the next person's. Of course, there is a universal experience of grief that's helpful that we share because we have empathy and can understand one another. But we're all unique. And so I think the best thing that we can do is just moment to moment, pay attention to what's happening and what we might need. And in that attention, have these pauses throughout the day where we ask ourselves, what do I need right now? Do I need to go to work and take a break so that I can really focus in on something else? Or do I need two hours to go through an old photo album, like just to really give ourselves permission to notice what we need? independent of what anyone else might say we need. So this can be applied in any aspect of life, but I think it can be really helpful for grief. So I'll just ask you to settle in, meaning get as comfortable as you can. If you are in a space to lower your gaze or close your eyes, you can do that. If you don't feel ready for the actual experiential, you can just sort of listen with the intention to do this another time. But as you're breathing and settling in, See if you can try that longer, slower exhale. And if it's helpful, you can count the length of the exhale just as a way to keep your attention on your breath. And while the exhale is a little more intentional, we're working to make it long, slow, steady. The inhale can be a bit more passive. But still notice if the, if the belly's expanding a little bit. So if that's hard to tell, you could rest your hand right around the belly button. And as you inhale, see if you can feel a little bit of expansion beneath the hand. That tells you that you're using your diaphragm, which again is one of the ways to turn on that parasympathetic response. To relax your body and your mind just a little bit. And you might start to notice the places in your body that are in contact with support. We'll just bring a little bit of awareness into your sit bones if you're seated, or the bottoms of your feet, or your back if you're supported by a chair. Just let yourself feel the support beneath you. So just these two parts, noticing your breathing, making the breath a little more intentional, and feeling physical support beneath the body are two ways to bring yourself into a more relaxed state. And this might be enough, two minutes of this, to kind of change the, the stress trajectory that you might be on in any moment of the day. Just a two-minute pause. But if you have a little bit more time, you might check in in a bigger way. You might notice the physical sensations that are present in your body right now. You don't need to label them as good or bad. It's just what is. In this moment, I feel maybe this tension in my shoulder 
Maybe I feel relaxed in the belly. I'm just taking an inventory. And then you could get curious about any mood or emotion that's present. Oftentimes we sort of stop at stress. We know that we feel stressed, but we don't pause to notice what's underneath that. What's causing that? Do I feel sad? Do I feel angry? Just noticing when there's some discomfort, whether there's a mood or an emotion that's attached to that. Or it might be joy or excitement. Again, just taking a kind of emotion inventory. Notice your energy level on a scale of one to five. How much energy do you have right now? On a scale of one to five, how much stress do you have right now? Again, just a little inventory. And you might also notice your mental body. So that might mean your mental state or how fast or slow your mind is moving or if there are particular thoughts that keep coming back, repetitive thoughts. Again, there's no right or wrong or good or bad. It's just awareness. And acknowledge what stood out, whether that's sensation, emotion, energy, thoughts, what stands out about what you're experiencing in this moment. And given what stands out, is there anything you could do to act on that? If you could ask your body, for example, what it would most like right now or an hour from now, what might it say? And as you ask it the question, just come at it from a place of warmth. How could I help you right now? How could I support you? You don't have to overthink it. Let's see if something pops in. And then imagine yourself in that action. You can receive support even through the imagination of an action. And when we imagine doing something warm or friendly or compassionate for ourselves, we're more likely to do it. We've already sort of laid down the neural pathway or the kind of imagination of what it might look like and feel like. And even if we don't do it, there's still a benefit from imagining it. So give yourself another minute or so just to imagine this offering that might support you in some way. And before we complete, Again, just notice how you feel. Notice if anything has shifted in your mind, your body, your spirit, your emotions. And when you're ready, bring your awareness back into your breath. A long exhale, maybe the inhale is a little more relaxed now. Take in your environment. If you've gone deep, you might start to re-notice the sounds around you, the temperature of the room. Just bring yourself back into your physical environment. And if your eyes are closed or gaze lowered, you can slowly open your eyes, refocus, think in the space around you, and notice what feels different, if anything. Oh, well, I feel different. <laughs> it feels quite wonderful. When you were saying something about what what uh, 
you you would want. I know, but I was thinking this. I could listen to you all day long. That it'd be nice <laughs> if you had a great recording on your website or something, so that to just listen because it it just allowed me to get into a really good space where the tension just kind of relaxes away. And I, I think the more we pay attention to how we feel, the, the better we can allow ourselves to be feeling better. I, I think a lot of times we get in our own way. Mm, that's so true. It's so true. When we don't feel great, we tend to not pay attention because it's disturbing to not feel great. But if we can get over that hump and pay attention, we generally come out the other side. We feel better. It doesn't mean life is perfect, but we feel better. Yes. And that's what a great thing to strive for, to always feel better. Yeah. Yeah. That's really wonderful. Well, I'm so glad you were on with us today. Um, I have the links in, in the show notes for this show so that you can get a hold of Rachel or find what she has to offer including a very special workshop that she does twice a year online or those the yeah yeah online, online so everybody can come mm -hmm. so be sure to check all that out so that you'll have the opportunity to go go even deeper with Rachel which I think you'll really enjoy I think that I um have two gifts one uh one is to talk about that online class which is all about the nervous system but um one of the links is just to sign up for my subscriber list. And when you do that, you do get a number of different recordings. So if that was cool. helpful, those are just free and they come along with those first few emails. Great. Well, then I just guess I have to sign up as soon as I get off here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. This was just delightful. I just, I feel really good. I got to tell you, I came into this, I had kind of hurt my shoulder at the gym today and I was thinking I'm going to be sitting there just feeling the pain in my shoulder the whole time and now I barely feel it at all so oh that's fantastic thank that's you so well it was a pleasure to be here what a lovely conversation I really appreciate you having me oh this was just great I'm I'm so happy I get to speak to wonderful people like you and send the send it out into the world so people can benefit from it so thank you very much you're welcome you as well and for our readers, no, readers, listeners, for our readers, <laughs> I said it again, for our listeners, please come back next week and we'll have even more wonderful, beautiful things that we'll be talking about that can really help you feel better. So I'll see you then. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.